Mac Power Users, Episode 487, Josh Sinters, Beta Spelunker. Welcome to the show, Josh Sinters. Hey, thanks for having me, David and, and Stephen. I've, I've been listening to the show for nearly a decade now, I mean, on and off. Uh, I was listening to it actually years before I even started working at Tidbits, so... Uh, you know, it was a big influence on me and, and uh, helped me get where I am today. So I uh, thank you for that. It's a real honor to be on the show. I, I remember meeting you, Josh, in San Francisco one year. I think it was Macworld, and you had your glorious beard. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, we had a great time. And I wrote down at the time, get Josh on the show. And I think that was like five years ago. So I, I feel bad. But welcome to the show anyway. Oh, thanks. Hey, better late than never. The gangs, for those of you who don't know Josh, he's a, a writer, a Mac power user. He's the managing editor at Tidbits, which is, I believe, the longest running newsletter in the history of humanity. It's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, how many newsletters are 29 years old out there? <laughs> you know, really? Yeah, we're on uh, issue 1,000, 1,300 something. I, I don't know. Wow. That. It's wow. been we we've been around we've been in continuous publication since April of 1990. Man, I'm just so thinking 29 back. years. Yeah, I'm just thinking about you know you're into year five or six and you're in the mid 90s and like the will to keep going, not knowing where Apple would end up. I mean, I, I've always respected uh, Tibbets as a as just like a powerhouse in our community for that longevity and and still being relevant after all that time. You know, so many I think so many things have come and gone, but Tibbets is really evolved and changed with the time in a way that I think is really hard and is really commendable. Well, thank you. That, that really all goes to Adam Inks and, and Tanya Inks and that they've really, yeah, had to evolve the site a lot. And really when they, when they first got started now, just to give you uh, some sort of waypoint as to how old tidbits is, it really just, it originally started as a hyper card stack that was sent out over email. <laughs> and, and this thing was so big at, at the time that Tanya actually literally broke the internet. Like there was some router or, or, or something like at a Navy base. This is how old the internet was. This, this is pre-web, okay? We predate the web. Yeah, and they, they had advertising before, I think advertising was even allowed on the web. Yeah, it was, Tidbits has been just a tremendous pioneer uh, for so long. And, and I'm lucky to have uh, been, I've been here about six years now, full time. And I started in 2012 as a freelancer, just contributing some things. So I've been really fortunate to uh, share in this uh, uh, sort of jewel of uh, the, the Apple community. What do you think, Stephen? Should we release an episode one day as a hyper hypercard stack? <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I think we could do that. Yeah, I'll get on that. I think, I think we we got to figure it out, man. There's got to be a way. <laughs> if you figure it out, let us know because we we've seriously considered for I think our twenty fifth anniversary we try to do we're gonna do something like a hypercard stack or there's um I forget the mm -hmm. name of them there's some modern day things that try to be like hypercard and uh, is this too much work but if uh, if we had a way to do it for like our thirtieth anniversary we'd we'd certainly consider yeah. it that that seems like a joint tidbits five twelve pixels uh, plan you know something hey. we could work on hey, I'm down <laughs> with that yeah. Because we're both sort of uh, like historical archives of the internet. Because you know, you uh, Stephen, you do your uh, your old Mac, all your old Mac stuff, and the screenshot collections, and then we have we have. I mean, we still have our archives from like the '90s, so that's all still there. Oh yeah, it's something that when I'm working on Apple history stuff, tidbits is always in my list of things to look through. Is like 
if I'm talking about something, chances are it was covered there at, at some point. And it's a, it's a, amazing that that's all still up, you know. Link rot is such we're way off in the weeds now. Sorry, but link rot is such a problem when you're when you're dealing with things like uh, like hey, I want to find out what somebody wrote. Even like even in my own archives at five twelve, which is eleven years old now, things I linked to in the early days just aren't there anymore. It's impossible to keep it up. So I think uh, sites that can do that and keep things live for a long time, it's it's nice to be around. Uh, just so you guys know, there's a website called vipercard.net, V-I-P-E-R-C-A-R-D.net, and it looks like a pretty faithful recreation of Hypercard with the Chicago font, no less. Wow, look at this. Yeah, and there's some, there's some like modern-day readers and stuff. I'm telling you, we're, we're going to talk. We can see if we can make that happen. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, this, is, this is definitely not where I thought this episode was going. So <laughs> see if I can bring it back on the rails here. So you started as a freelance writer. You were uh, submitting some things. But how did you get into, into the writing gig uh, kind of writing scene in the first place? Oh, that, that's a really good question. There was a book uh, I read called The Education of Millionaires. And I can't think of the guy's name at the moment, but... It wasn't actually from the book, but it was a blog post he, he had put up. And he talked about, uh, you know, I was really wanting a career change. I was working um, in just a gen generic kind of corporate job for a few years. You know, I, I graduated right around the time of the Great Recession. So, you know, the job market was really bumpy, obviously. And uh, so I just kind of grabbed on to what I could do, right? And so um, I, I read this article he had, this guy wrote. And he said, you know, if you really want to break into a field, you should get a domain name with your name, like in my case, joshcenters.com, and you should just start reading the books in that field and write a blog post every day about that field. And so I decided I was going to do uh, copywriting, like, like ad writing, and uh, I got derailed pretty quickly and started writing about tech stuff on this blog. It was a Squarespace, Squarespace uh, blog, by the way. We're on a podcast, so I got to give a shout out to Squarespace. And uh, it got one of my articles, I don't remember which one at this point, got picked up by Glenn Fleischman, uh, who's written for everywhere, including Tidbits. And uh, then another one got picked up by Jim Dalrymple over at The Loop. And uh, just one thing led to another. And I start, and uh, Adam Inks, uh, Glenn talked to Adam, and Adam asked me to write some stuff for Tidbits. And I started doing that. And uh, I, I had this habit of, like in the middle of the night, I would like, if I saw an error on a tidbits article, I'd email them about it and uh, just <laughs> let them know, you know, I, I was really, I'm, I gotta be honest. I was really pushing hard to get hired, even though like such jobs don't really exist. And, uh, I guess Adam felt sorry for me or something, but you know, one day him and Tanya just sent me an employment contract and like, Hey, we'd like you to be our managing editor. And, and that's how it happened. And I, I've heard Adam talk, I was at Macworld. I don't leave my farm very often, but you know, that one time I went to San Francisco, I actually overheard him talking to somebody. And this isn't to brag about me or anything, but just, just to kind of, kind of give um, advice for anyone out there who's interested in, in doing this sort of thing. You know, I heard him talking to somebody. He's like, the reason I hired Josh is because Josh would say he was going to do something and he, and he did it. And, and that's something I really found over the years working with a lot of freelancers. You'll have someone say, yeah, yeah, I'll write that article for you. Yeah, I really want to write this article. It'll be their idea. They'll come to you. They'll lay it out. Like, okay, fine. You can write the article. Six months go by. Okay, where's the article? Oh, yeah, well, I got sidetracked. Like, you know, and you might get it like a year later. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of flakes in this industry. And it's just, it's just kind of how it is. You know, people who work for themselves uh, don't like answering to other people, which, you know, is fair enough. 
so, you know, if, if I can offer any kind of advice to anyone wanting to get into this, which I, I think you're kind of crazy to try to, because it's, it's so competitive and there's so many people out of work. I'm really, I'm really fortunate to even have the stability I do have, but, uh, you know, Hey, just, just do what you're going to say you're going to do, you know, do that consistently. And that applies to any field really. Yeah. I, I'm, we just talked about this unfocused recently. I've really been making an effort not to make any promises to clients that I don't keep. And it's really changed my mindset because for a long time, we're like, okay, I'll get that for you. But then you make the promise uh, sh on a shallow level and you don't want to do that. You want to be able to make promises you can keep. So that is something that makes a big difference. I agree. Uh, easy trap to fall into though. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm kind of uh, religious about keeping promises. I mean, even to maybe an extreme. I, I don't know if I should show this story or not, but I'll, I will anyway, just show you what extreme I will go to to keep a promise. So the the woman I was dating before I met my, before I got with my wife, I got her tickets to the show Wicked, and I promised I would take her to it. Well, this was like, I had to buy the tickets like six months in advance because that's how quickly the show sold out, right? In the meantime, we broke up, and I was dating my wife for a while. And so the show come up, and my ex-girlfriend was like, hey, you said you were going to take me. I was like, Crap. Well, I I said I tell I told my my you know now wife and girlfriend I said sorry I told her I was going to take her so I have to take her and you know so I did it was very awkward and kind of weird and you know and uh, she she wasn't super happy with but she she understood though and so my, my wife's always understood I, I I do my I go through to great lengths to be a man of my word so uh, you know and I always try to do that I mean I'm not a perfect person but that's the that's one thing I always try to stand by man Josh that that's impressive. I think my wife might have said, yeah, you can go, but when you come back, I'm not sure the locks will be the same. <laughs> well, fortunately, we hadn't been dating very long, so she kind of understood, and uh, I, did get, I did get interrogated by her and her friends when I came back. <laughs> I'm sure. So in addition to your managing editor duties, you are also the author of, I mean, the, the list in our Google Doc just goes on and on of the Take Control series of books. So how did it go from working on, you know, correcting blog posts to writing blog posts and managing people writing to becoming an author of a bunch of books? Well, the book thing uh, was sort of a package deal with um, with the employment contract. It's one of the things mentioned because at the time, Adam and Tanya ran Take Control. This is another one of their innovations. They started doing the Take Control series in 2003. It's a funny story. Uh, the, the stuff to make eBooks didn't really exist on the Mac in 2003. So they actually had to right. run... Microsoft Word in a virtual machine uh, in oh, Windows. Boy. Yes, <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've long had a joke where, where uh, I say they should make books about Windows called Take Control, like C T R L like for Windows. That's really good. I, I approve of that one hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, but anyway, the, the way I got started, it took me a long. I, I pitched a lot of books, uh, and and they all sucked or they'd been done, and finally. Uh, you know, the thing that really got me back into the Apple space, I was, I was really into PCs and PC gaming for a while, but the thing that really kind of drew me back into Apple was the Apple TV, the, specifically the second generation Apple TV. And I, and I bought one kind of on a whim because it was one of the cheaper Apple things you could buy. I ended up really liking it, and it sort of pulled me into the whole ecosystem all over again. Um, and so, yeah, so, hey, can I do Tech 12 Apple TV? No one else has written about Apple TV, or if they had, it had been a really long time. And so in 2014, uh, we came out with Take 12 Apple TV, and uh, that was my first uh, that was my first book, and uh, it was a really cool book at the time because we I covered things like uh, 
there's a lot of stuff you really weren't supposed to be able to do really probably shouldn't recommend like for instance ripping your own dvds ripping blu-rays uh you know there's lots of uh, there was a an ios app that lets you put a web browser in your apple tv which this is before there was an app store uh some developers had developed some games for the apple tv that you could airplay to uh from the iphone to the apple tv and it would sort of be like a dual screen experience i can't think of the names of any of them i remember one where you shot zombies from a helicopter like in night vision and you moved like the ipad or the iphone around and see and you'd see one view on the apple tv and another on the phone and so it was some really neat stuff people were trying to do uh before tvos was a thing and so i documented all that and uh you know, I've tried to keep that book up to date over the years. My current, the thing I'm wanting to do, I'm trying to talk my publisher, Joe Kissel, into it, is I really want to take that book and rewrite it from scratch. You know, I've updated it over the years, but it's still, you know, it's it's like the Windows code base. At some point, you really have to wipe things and start fresh right. because yeah. I think, I feel like the whole paradigm of digital TV is entirely different than it was five, six years ago. You know, five, Definitely. You know, five years ago, it was streaming stuff from your Mac, right? Or it was, you know, in addition to streaming, now it's all streaming. It's all cloud. Uh, you know, the more, and, and you can use Plex for things like that, too, which I covered Plex in one edition of it. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff I would do very differently in this day and age. Yeah, I even feel like Plex is a little bit in the rearview mirror at this point because streaming is so prevalent. Yeah, there, I mean, there are some things um, I use Plex for that, uh, you know, I try not to pirate too much. I mean, let's be honest, Plex is mostly for piracy, if we're just being honest. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I try not to do too much of that. But, uh, you know, there are some things you just can't get over streaming, like some movies that just don't offer for various reasons. And so it is good to have it for that. Um, but, man, it's it's so hard to keep up with the storage requirements for things like that. That's right. I, I, have, uh, I have three, four terabyte drives on my desk. I just ordered a fourth one, and I don't even really have that. I don't feel like I have that much stuff. And so it's just, it gets expensive after a while to to store this stuff and back it up. Yeah, I think it's really like that that offsite or that that video management storage makes a lot more sense when you have little kids. And I don't think mm -hmm. this is piracy, but we would buy the DVDs, but you know they'd have peanut butter on them in a couple yeah. weeks, so we'd always rip them and then keep them on the uh, the shared storage, and now to use a Plex server because the kids will watch you know, the latest Disney movie like a thousand times. It's like they just can't get enough of it. But then at some point they start getting older and, you know, we rent it once and we're good. But, man, when they're little, that does help. Yeah, and these streaming services, I don't think they quite understand how kids watch things because you'll watch it once and it disappears off your, your menu and, and then you have to dig it back up. I'm like, no, 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 you have to understand this is a kid's profile. Children will watch the same movie a thousand times in a row. I want to pin it. On the home screen, the TV app should do this. If anyone from Apple's listening right now, and I do know some people on the Apple TV side of things. If you're listening right now, let me pin something to my Apple TV home screen, please, so my kid can watch it ad nauseum. Um, that would be a tremendous feature. But yeah, that's one thing Plex is good at. Plex is really good at letting you watch the same thing. Well, I hope you make that book, man. Let us know. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. The folks over at Eero have built the Wi-Fi system that they wanted for their own homes. A fast, reliable connection in every room and even the backyard. It all starts with a second-generation Eero device. It has three 5 GHz radios, which allow for increased speed and range. And it sits flat on any surface, connecting via Ethernet or wirelessly. 
and then you can easily expand the coverage throughout your whole home by adding in some Eero beacons, which are devices that plug directly into the wall, allowing you to reach every corner of your home. The single router model, it just doesn't work anymore. We all have a lot of devices and Wi-Fi just doesn't travel well through walls. The Eero app makes it easy to manage your network from the palm of your hand so you can see how many devices are connected and the speed of your internet access. And Eero updates automatically so you always have the latest features and the latest security updates at all times. I've had Eero Wi-Fi running in my home for years and I've been absolutely thrilled with it. The devices look great so you're happy to have it out in your home. You don't have to hide this stuff away in a closet like a lot of other brands. It all looks great and with the Eero app, it's easy to manage, change settings right from anywhere you are with your iPhone. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout, select overnight shipping and then enter the code MPU to make it free. That's Eero.com, select overnight shipping and the code MPU will make it free. Our thanks to Eero for their support of Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. All right, Josh, so tell us a little bit about your gear. I have a lot of stuff, uh, but maybe not as much as I'd like. And some of it's kind of older. Like I have a 2014 iMac Retina. It was the first 5K Retina iMac. I got it at the tail end of its lifespan because my the 15-inch MacBook Pro that got me into this business uh, died on me, and I had a deadline to meet. So Adam and Tiny were like, go to the Apple store, get one. Just get one, get back to work. You got to keep that Got to keep that promise, right? You're, you're, you're yeah. set now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's. I live two weeks from everywhere, so it took me like you know all day to go down there, and get one, and come back. But how's it running? I mean, is it how's it doing? Um, you know, I want to say pretty good, but it's it's been acting up. One thing I did that was uh, one of the smarter moves I've made in the past few years is I put 16 gigabytes of RAM in it, and mm-hmm. I, you know, if I can offer one piece of advice to anyone investing in a Mac, especially for professional use, do not settle for any less than 16 gigabytes. Uh, Modern Mac OS just, just does not run well with 8 or anything less than 16. Um, if you have 16, things will run pretty smoothly. Um, it, I had some problems with some USB devices. I think I got that worked out by the Fusion Drive, I think, is starting to act kind of funky. I was having a lot of beach balls and some other things this morning. So I, I may be looking at a new one soon. I do know this much. If if I do get a new iMac, I'm not getting the Fusion Drive. It's It's a nice idea but Apple has not supported it especially well. And uh, APFS doesn't, doesn't seem to work very well with spinning disks. Uh, so I don't know. I'd, I'd want to go with pure SSD on that. Yeah, I, I would just interject there to agree. Uh, I think that the Fusion Drive, I heard from a lot of people have trouble with Fusion Drives. And you don't need it. I mean, you can get a, um external drive that's going to be fast enough for your big storage. Put your money into the biggest SSD you can afford with you know within limits and then also you can always add an external ssd later if you want as well so i mean there's there's a lot of options that don't involve two different kinds of drives mm-hmm. well you run into an issue and it maybe what's going on on your machine i know people in the forums have dealt with this where it, it's not that the the fusion drive technology is failing them but the hard drive half of the the hard drive half of the of the setup is starting to fail and it's you could get it repaired, but on a machine of that age, unless you know you have an Apple service provider nearby, and a lot of people don't, you know, it can be it can be expensive. So it's definitely something I worry about the longevity of anything. Anything with a spinning hard drive will let you down eventually. Yes, well, especially in a closed up machine like the iMac. And uh, another problem with the iMac, uh, I do like the iMac, but the, one of my problems with it is 
uh, it gets all this dust on the inside. You know, who knows how much dust is in there? And that's that's probably messing with performance to a certain degree. Um, yeah, and it's unfortunately, despite all of Apple's uh, claims about they want to recycle and be more environmental, unfortunately, a lot of their machines are just ultimately disposable. And yeah, it would probably be just as much to get it repaired as it would be to buy a new one. So that's that's probably what we're looking at. You know, I, I don't like things being that way, but that's just um, sort of how it is. Now, speaking of disposable, I have a 2016 MacBook Pro. That's my secondary machine. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> what a transition. Oh, oh boy. Uh, it was smooth. Huh? That's why I get the big bucks. Um, it's actually treated me fairly well. I've only had one stuck key. That was a tab key. and No one needs a tab key anyway. Um, I got it unstuck with a toothpick i just ran a toothpick around the edge and i got it out i haven't had too much trouble with it knock on wood um and i'm running catalina on it right now and that's that's kind of a mess uh but it's beta one so of course it's a mess um i, I, I will say one of the things i love about some of that like uh, apfs the apple file system is that it's super easy to go into disk utility and create a new container for an APFS volume, and you just have like a new, effectively virtual hard drive, you can install an operating system or whatever in, and and you can do that. You can install Catalina, and then when you're done, just blow it away, and and no problem at all. It's it's a mind blowing feature. We had a um, I'll send you guys a link to it so you can link to it. Um, Jeff Carlson at Tidbits wrote a nice article about uh, how all that stuff works, which is how I knew about it. I wouldn't know about that otherwise. Um, so I have this MacBook Pro right here, and um, I have an, a 10 and a half inch iPad Pro, which I'm not a big iPad guy. I'm not like a, the Tichy or something. Uh, it's mostly for testing and for uh, writing my iOS books. So it, it stays dormant for much of the year. But I got to say, I'm running the iPad OS beta on it, and just having a full-featured Safari, like a desktop-class Safari, is making an enormous difference. There's a lot of stuff for tidbits that I could not do in, in iOS 12. It's just literally impossible. And, and I, I, I want you to put a pin in that because we're going to have yes. a whole topic on that later. Because you, Josh Sinters, are a beta man. You are running all of the betas. You, <laughs> I want to hear about that. But, but let's just give that a separate topic later because there's, there's something okay. to talk about. And I'm, I may have to admit to certain transgressions on my own behalf between now no. and then. Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, uh, so, um, I also just want to rewind to the discussion of Apple, the APFS, the new Apple file system. We, uh, you know, we, we, we take shots at Apple when they miss things. Sometimes we forget to give them credit. They changed the whole file system a couple of years ago. And I have not heard of any major problems from really anybody. I'm sure there's probably a couple in the forums I missed, but oh, the, I can um, fix that for you. <laughs> Oh, really? Did you have problems? Yeah, I just installed Mojave on this iMac because I was very skeptical I heard of all the bugs and things. So finally, uh, I went on vacation a couple weeks ago. So the week before, because I was going to come home immediately from vacation and be at a WWDC, I wanted to be updated. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so I did install Mojave, and it, it, my heart, it, it just trashed my machine. Oh, no. And I spoke too soon. Well, I think it's because it was a combination of File Vault and the Fusion Drive. And I don't think the doodad, that's the technical term for it, the thing that converted HFS to APFS, I don't think it was quite set for or tested for that sort of configuration. Um, the good news is, is I have so many backups. I have a Time Machine backup, I have a clone, I have Backblaze. 
uh, I was able to just wipe everything, do a clean install, and then restore from Time Machine. I didn't take that much longer uh, than a typical OS install. So I got to say that that migration assistant thing, uh, as like Gruber was saying a few weeks ago, that things really come a long way over the years. I was pretty impressed by that aspect of it. And unfortunately, I had a guy on Twitter say, yeah, the same thing happened to me. How'd you fix it? And I told him, well, restored from Time Machine. He said, I don't have a backup. And I'm like, well, you probably screwed then. Sorry. My heart always breaks a little bit when I hear someone say that. Yeah, and on the Mac, it's it's so easy to back up your machine compared to, um, well, I don't know how, I mean, Windows is probably a little better these days, but I think the Mac's always been ahead of Windows and Linux in that regard, at least in terms of ease of use. So yeah, it's, it, look, if you have a Mac, just spend a, spend some money, get a four terabyte drive. They're under hundred bucks. Plug it in your machine, set up Time Machine. Just do it. Just do it. You're not going to regret it. Uh, you'll you'll be very glad you did. So you've got the uh, you've got the you've got an external monitor. Uh, Josh sent us a picture of his desk. By the way, we're going to start including some of these with the uh, show notes. You, you went. Uh, you've got a couple big monitors there, Josh. Yeah, I have the twenty seven inch five uh, K Retina iMac. And then next to it, and see, I actually had the monitor before the iMac, so just I just kind of looked out on the big screens. I got this a 27-inch Dell. Uh, it's it's a few years old. It's a little long in the tooth. It's not 4K or anything, um, and it's uh, it's got like a fading backlight. Like I can reset the settings and it'll come back to normal, but it's it's just kind of wonky. But I've really come to appreciate having two big screens. Uh, some people don't work well with that. Like I have a buddy, I try to talk him into doing dual monitors and he, he sat down at my machine. He said, my head would explode if I sat in front of this all day. <laughs> and, uh, I guess, thankfully I, I have more of a squirrel brain than he does. And so I, I just have windows everywhere. Like I have my communications on the right side, on my right screen, like my iMessage, Slack, all that stuff. Like right now I have audio hijack on that screen. And then the left side I have usually just browser windows. Uh, I do almost everything in Chrome these days. And so it lets me look at multiple things at once and I can just kind of glance over and take, you know, respond to a message and then come back to my work. And, uh, it, it took some getting used to, I know this is such a first world problem. It took a little getting used to, but, uh, it, I think it's been a tremendous productivity payoff in the long run. And I feel very constrained when I'm just working for my MacBook or, or just my mm -hmm. iPad. We, we can't move on without talking about this keyboard that's got some, <laughs> you have some RGB lighting going on. Yeah. What are you typing with? This uh, fancy keyboard is made by a company called Vixing, and it costs me all of about $10 on Amazon. Uh, so yeah, this this extremely fancy keyboard. I So I for a long time, I typed with an Apple wireless keyboard, and, and I've got some really bad RSI issues, and I, I decided to try to do some things to, to correct those. And one of them was I decided to try a mechanical keyboard, uh, which, I mean, I've used a few over the years and I love them, but I didn't want to spend a lot of money on one um, until I knew uh, what sort of effect it would have. So I blew all of 10 measly dollars on this thing. And, it, and I didn't know if it was actually helping my RSI at all until I tried to use my Apple wireless keyboard last week. And uh, yeah, uh, I started getting a lot of ache aches and pains and so i switched back to this thing and it's it's better so i probably should invest in something a little nicer than this um maybe you guys have some recommendations for me but uh uh so yeah i, I have this Vixing keyboard uh one of the big things that's helped me a lot with the rsi issues is i got this anchor vertical mouse now you can get these 
on uh, AliExpress, in, and they're like $5. This one was 15 from Amazon just because my wrist pain was so bad that I really needed something like as soon as possible. I used to use the Apple Magic Trackpad, the first model, and, and I'm still a fan of it. I love the gestures and stuff. I have one on my desk that I use with my left hand, especially when I'm uh, my, my seven-month-old son's home with me. I hold him with one hand and, and trackpad with the left hand. Um, and then I got a, it's a, um, armchair. I, I sit in an Aeron, those Herman Miller, Miller Aeron chairs, those fancy ones. Cause I have a lot of hip issues from sitting in a cheap staples chair for way too long. Cause I, when I got this job, I didn't think I would be in it for more than six months. So I didn't invest a lot in a chair and then five years go by and I'm like having trouble walking. I'm like, you know, I should probably invest in that chair already. <laughs> and so, yeah. and so I did and it's helped uh, somewhat. And I got this, uh, this actually I got from AliExpress. It's a, but you can get from Amazon too. You'll just pay more. It's a, an armrest mounted mouse pad. So I can have my mouse just right here. I don't have to reach to my desk for it, which has helped with shoulder pain. And I have a lot less shoulder pain than I used to. And the vertical mouse keeps my forearm from cramping up. Because one of the things with a regular mouse, and you can try this for yourself. You put your hand on a regular mouse or even like the, the Apple trackpad, you can feel your the bones in your forearm crisscrossing. And it pinches nerves and muscles and blood vessels and all that kind of stuff. And, and over time, it can really cause a lot of uh, aggravation there. And so with the vertical mouse, is a little weird, but it keeps your hand in a more neutral um, position, like you're giving a handshake. And so uh, switching to that has helped a lot. Now, unfortunately, modern Mac OS doesn't play very well with uh, regular mice. So uh, I had to do a few things. I do keep the magic trackpad on hand for gestures and scrolling and things. And then another thing I do is I have a better touch tool, which is a, a great little utility that, um, cause Apple has this really obnoxious thing in settings where you can set the scrolling to either be like regular scrolling where down is down and up is up, or you can have it be reverse scrolling and the reverse scrolling works better with a trackpad cause it's how iOS works. But then regular scrolling works better with a, a scroll wheel and a mouse. And so better touch tool will actually let you customize it. So you can have it scroll one way on your mouse and the other way on your trackpad. And so, uh, the mouse scrolling feels you know, natural. And then the trackpad scrolling feels natural. And that's overall a pretty good setup because I have the advantages of the magic trackpad. And also I don't have all the, the pain associated with using it all the time. Yeah. I feel like anybody listening to MPU who hasn't given better touch tool try should because uh, you know you're listening to this show you definitely want to get more out of your mac and this application gives you so much power and no matter what your pointing device is it's covered yeah it's it's a really great tool i've used it for a long time and you can customize all kinds of stuff with it like you can do like uh different uh taps on the trackpad will do different actions and it's just it's incredibly powerful i really don't use that much of it i keep it very simple but i do use it to fix uh, the, the dumb way Apple has scrolling settings set up. So even for something as basic as that, and if you have um, a set app subscription, it's included. And what about uh, what about audio stuff? So we're recording a podcast. I assume that we're not talking to you. Sounds good. You know, we're not using soup cans and strings. So <laughs> uh, what do you have on hand for that? Oh, well, I don't have anything too fancy. I have an iRig Mic HD2, which is a a very good mic for the money for you know about a hundred bucks. You know, I, I know Audio Technic has a pretty neat mic for like forty dollars, but I've never tried it. They they 
they offered to send me this as a review unit and they just never wanted it back. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll keep using it, I guess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's one of those deals. And um, tech reporter privilege, I guess. And then um, I did get a shock mount for it. I don't have like one of those fancy arms or anything. I'm sure you guys have, but I, I do have a, a cheap shock mount I put on there. And so it just kind of hangs in that. And the shock mount's mostly to keep from, uh, you know, if I pound on my keyboard, you're not going to hear it you know, in your in your ears when you listen to this podcast. And then I have um, a pair of Sony MDR V6 headphones I've had for, oh, 12 years now. Like, I mean, like, I, I used to be a, a PC gamer, and I broke my last set of headphones because I threw them against the wall like a moron. And so... <laughs> yeah, that usually does that, Josh, if you throw them against things. <laughs> they were kind of cool. They had, like, rumble in them. Like, they had, like, a vibratory motor. I, I, so I'm like, okay, I want the most resilient, idiot-proof headphones I can get. And so I, I settled on the, the V6s. Because uh, they've been around since like the '80s, and uh, and I, I've had them for that long. I just recently changed the ear pads on them, and I uh, I put a new uh, cable in. Had to use a soldering iron for that, so that was fun. And yeah, now they're like brand new. And so anytime I need to do like a podcast or anything like professional audio wise, I put them on, and and uh, they've, they've served me super well. And honestly, I have one regret: I would have got the seventy five oh six, which is like a professional grade version of this. For just a few dollars it's more. what i use yeah yeah um then so, that's that's one thing i can recommend if we, we talk about coffee stuff it was actually an upgrade i wish i had got there but yeah there are some things it's worth buying the more expensive one because it lasts so long <laughs> it's worth it yeah totally i mean that's uh that's true in a lot of this stuff but the problem is sometimes you got to make sure it's something you're into before you spend the money on the pro thing because yeah yeah that, and that's where we're all kind of trying to draw the line my microphone uh the the sordid story of microphones in my life kind of tells that story where i didn't know you know i didn't know if this podcasting thing was going to work at all and then you know so i've i've had three or four microphones over the years yeah it's one of those things i mean i've had this i used to have a blue yeti and a lot of people a lot of people recommend those and oh they just pick up too much background noise you have to use a lot of filtration which thankfully audio hijack is really good at uh especially this this newer version it's like five years old now but it's the newer it's newer to me but I can't really recommend it. One thing I like about this iRig mic is that it's very directional. Um, it, you know, not as much as you know, like my friend Zach Cici has, like he spent like seven hundred dollars on a microphone. He basically went to Marker Armand's page when he got serious about his podcast, and he got a tax return, a tax refund, and he just bought every single thing Marco recommended and spent like a thousand dollars on it. And it sounds great. I mean, if you got the money, that's the way to go, right? Uh, if you're serious about it. But <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that. In, uh, that big of a spender well i want to talk about how you get all this writing done your books newsletters all the stuff you're getting done but first let's cover our next sponsor this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by moo moo is an online print design company specializing in customizable business cards postcards stickers and more for your business use promo code printmoo p-r-i-n-t-m-o-o with no space for 15 percent off when you spend $50 or more. I was so pleased when Moo started sponsoring the Mac Power users because I've been a customer for years. Networking is an important part of any career, whether you're a designer, novelist, or CEO, and you don't want to get caught out by not having a business card at the important moment. Well, you can be prepared and show your creativity by having your business cards made with Moo. Great design is at the heart of what Moo does, and there's nothing like a slick, well-made business card. The quality of Moo's business cards is one of a kind, with special finishes like gold foil, 
race, spot glass, and letterpress. Moose business cards are so unique, helping your business stand out from a crowd. It's great to see your hard work on screen, but it's even better to hold it in your hand. But if you're not into designing your own cards, Moo recently rolled out new templates for business cards, drawing inspiration from trends they've seen amongst their most creative customers. You can count on Moo to help you make a great first impression. Even though business cards are Moo's core product, their full suite of products include postcards, invitations, letterhead, stickers, and flyers, allowing you to seamlessly promote your brand. They even make amazing quality notebooks available in both soft and hard cover. Whatever you need, Moo has got you covered with their easy customization options. And if you're not familiar with Moo, you can order a free sample pack on their website to try out their different products. My favorite Moo products are the half-sized business cards with pictures on them. I've got a bunch of them with pictures of my various businesses and some of my products. I've even got a couple with my face on them. It's always fun and a conversation starter when I hand them out. So get your very own Moo card. Go to Moo.com to find out more and get 15% off your order when you spend $50 or more by using the code PRINTMOO, P-R-I-N-T-M-O-O at checkout. Once again, that's code PRINTMOO with no space to get 15% off when you spend $50 or more at Moo.com. Our thanks to Moo for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Moo, let's get physical. Josh, you've been in this game writing a long time. What were your tools when you first got started, and how has that evolved? Oh, wow. Uh, my first tools, when I started writing professionally, it was a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I want to say 2012, it was before Retina. So I think it was, like, actually, it was a 2011, it was a 2011 MacBook Pro. And uh, I had that, and that was basically it. You know, what, what what software were you writing in? I'm trying to think. I, I think at the well, see, I was writing a few different things. It was I was definitely writing mostly in Markdown, and uh, oh, I'm trying to think. You, you know, you guys were just talking about all the text editor wars from just a few years ago, and so it seems yeah. like I, I used several. <laughs> I came all think of, them? of them. Yeah, basically, I, IA Writer is that still a thing? And I used. Um, oh, I came. I really can't think of them. I used so many. I, I will say. When I got hired at Tidbits, we we were very much standardized on BB Edit. So I used BB Edit daily for a very long time, and I still use it for the text factories. Which um, I, I want to try to uh, ad adapt some of those text factories to shortcuts, because you know cause that's definitely where the the future is on the Apple automation front. But yeah, we used I used BB Edit daily for a long time because uh, this is crazy. I'm going to tell you how our old Tidbits setup was and until. Uh, just last year, our, our website looked very 1990s. We had a very ancient kind of website because we have so many moving parts. We have, you know, the archives all the way back to the 90s. We have the the newsletter. We have the uh, daily uh, or you know, just whenever we publish an article, we send the emails to people. We just have a lot of moving parts. And so it took us a, a long time to switch to more modern stuff. And so um, but it was all it was an open source system. Glenn Fleischman developed it in Perl, God help him. Um, and <laughs> it was built on subversion and which is, um, it, it's what uh, people listening don't know. It's a version control system for programmers that predates Git, And, uh, it went out of fashion probably before we even developed that site. And, but the one thing about subversion was we really liked BB edit. And so it, 
BB Edit communicates with Subversion. So what we could do was you could draft in BB Edit, and we had a keyboard maestro macro that would start the article and put everything like we wanted it. And then we would draft in, B in BB Edit, we'd commit with Subversion, and then that would show up in our custom CMS that Clint had coded for us, and all the things would be in the right places, and then we'd just have to um, modify a few things before we, we took it live on the site. So it was, it was a very elaborate system. Um, nowadays, we have, it, it, I mean, it's, it's sort of different how development philosophy changed over the years. Like back in the 2000s, it was very much like build your own thing, own your own horse, everything open source. You know, nowadays the wisdom yeah. is, you know, get everything off the shelf. And so that's the, the newer tidbits. The new tidbits is very much that. It's built on WordPress, industry standard, there's plugins for everything uh, with some custom code that ties it all together. And we draft in Google Docs now because, and so that was one of the things with Subversion was we could, you know, one person could check out um, an article and edit it and then commit it and then you can track the changes. Well, Google Docs makes that really simple and that almost everyone has a Google account. We have a couple of writers who don't like Google, but you know, we just tell them to grin and bear it. And we draft there. I, I copy everything and put it into WordPress. And then we, I do run a text filter because Google Docs puts a lot of junk in, like span tags and things like that. And so we have that text factory removes all that kind of crap. And, and so we have clean HTML. And so, yeah, I just basically copy, paste, you know, run the text factory, and then we publish. That's a much smoother workflow uh, than what we had back then. So is the text factory, is that a WordPress plugin or is that still in BB Edit? Or somewhere else. That's a BB Edit uh, text factory, yeah. And um, and also, of course, Google Docs is so good for collaboration. I would imagine as you're working with writers, it makes it easy for everybody to kind of check in on it. Yeah, and you know, it has it has good version control. It has um, yeah, great. I mean, it, I, we really we've tried everything in this space, and we've just never found anything that looks better than Google Docs. As, as much as we we hate Google Docs for a lot of reasons, because it's not the most Apple friendly thing. And it's really more of a word processor, word processor than a text editor. But we just we can't find anything we like better, and and things that we have to work around. Like for instance, it adds a bunch of junk HTML in. Well, we have solutions for that. And probably my biggest annoyance with Google Docs is, and this is with every text, uh, not text, uh, with a word with every word processor is they make it hard to extract images. Right, like you can't just drag and drop out. So I have to export as HTML and then pull the images out and rename them. Um, I mean, there's probably better, I mean, there might be better ways of doing that. That's just how we do it. And so, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the, this iPad OS beta really helps with that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. And I remember having a long talk with Tanya years ago with the publishing side of the house where you guys were going from Word and you were looking at pages. I think you mm -hmm. eventually ended up with yeah. Nicest Writer at the time. Um, and that's a whole nother kind of writing workflow. Do you do the same thing for the books? Are those done in, in Google Docs as well? No, uh, that's straight up Nicest Writer. We we use Dropbox to share the manuscripts and to collaborate. And we have a really technical system for that. We have folders. We have like checked in, checked out. <laughs> we just drag and, and sync between so everyone knows what the status on things is. So that way we're not overriding each other. And um, Nicest Writer, it's interesting kind of the history behind it because Joe Kissel, who's the current publisher of Tech Control, that's where he got his start in tech writing. He wrote a manual for Nicest Writer. 
And so that's just come full circle over the years. And, and the nicest writer people are super great to us because I, I guess we're one of their better customers and we have such a history with them. You know, we can say, hey, this stuff's broken for us and they will fix it. I mean, they'll put out updates practically just for us, which is awesome. And it supports so many um, take control specific things that, that Word or Google Docs or, or Pages. I would love to be able to use Pages for everything. Um, especially because you have the, you know, it works across iOS and all that, but it's just not there. And um, so nicest writer is really, really good for that. It's almost, I mean, it's basically custom made for take control in a lot of ways. And so we have style, all these different styles and things that we use. And so when we write take control books, you know, a lot of times you'll write plain text for a manuscript and then you, you do layout Well, we do layout as we write which which can be challenging at times, especially with earlier versions of Nicest Writer. They didn't handle that as well. But this uh, most recent version of Nicest Writer, I, I can't remember the major version number, but it improves stability a lot. Also having 16 gigs of RAM helped a lot because these books can get very resource intensive. And, and we've also taken, um, uh, we've, we've learned some tricks for shrinking the images without reducing quality too much. Um, like one thing I do, and I do this for publishing too, and this is a little trick if you reduce the width of an image to about 10 inches, and I use preview for that. Preview is like a powerhouse of an app. And so much so I, I co-authored a book on it with Adam Inkst. Um, but if you reduce it to about 10 inches in width, that usually gives you a, a fairly small image without uh, being too large, but it still looks pretty good. Um, so we've, we've really reduced the size of those manuscripts and uh, nicest writer performance has improved. And you know, of course having more RAM always helps yeah, because of my day job, I just have to use Word often. But I hear from Mac Power Users listeners who are rabid, nicest writer fans. People, you know, like if you need a word processor, and I, I haven't downloaded the app. I haven't. That's not one I've spent much time with. So, uh, at least in years, um, I, I don't know what the features are that has everybody so excited. But I know there's a lot of folks that if you're not happy with Pages or Word, you probably should take a look at nicest writer. Yeah, there's a lot of like scripting options and, and other little things that aren't there. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on it. It's one of those things where like, I just use it the way it's set up. You know, I try not to break it if I can help it. I don't really use it for anything else. I just use it to take control. Uh, for my regular word processing, I mostly use Google Docs for the, um, yeah. you know, just it, it's cross-platform. It syncs. It's easy to share stuff. And, and my requirements aren't great. I used to have an Office 365 subscription, but I, I just didn't find myself using it. And, yeah. and I've never quite gotten used to pages and I, I use numbers for some things because it makes really nice graphs, but I'd never quite got used to the iWork way of doing things. And so Google Docs kind of hits the buttons all pretty well. The mm -hmm. price is right. When you write these big articles and newsletters and books, I'm assuming this stuff just doesn't pour out of your brain. You probably have some sort of planning or or notes or some system for putting it together. How do you do that? Planning. Oh man, that's, that's a good idea. Uh, no, I, my, uh, the app I use the most. That changes everything. Change, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about this. Um, well, we do a few different things. I, I have a very um, organic sort of system, which is say extremely messy, not planned out. Uh, but what's, you know, I've used a lot of different note apps and outliners. And the one thing that's come out ahead of all of them uh, just naturally over the years is a, the Apple Notes app. Uh, so much so that I, I talked my way into writing a take control book about it, take control of notes. And uh, I, I just love Apple Notes. It gives me just what I need and it's not overly fussy. I don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about formatting, but I can format things enough 
So, th so my ideas are presented clearly. And it's so flexible because I can use it for things like to-do lists and I can share it like uh, my wife and I have a shared to-do list. We make to-dos for each other and we have headers, uh, one for her, one for me. And we'll create headers like, okay, somebody has to go to the store later. You know, it's so flexible for that. And so a lot of times when I'm uh, just putting ideas together for, for articles and, you know, research, and this is everything from books to articles to just random things that pop in my head. I use notes for all that. It's it's just it's really one of my favorite apps. I mean, it, Apple's improved a lot over the years because it used to be you know the the crappy marker felt on the on the yeah, skewer more. Thinking about that, yeah. Oh man, it was terrible. And but they've really done a lot to improve it. So I'm super happy with that. Um, I'm excited to uh, play with all the new reminders stuff too. But I don't get off topic there. Um, we do outline stuff, um, especially from new authors like you know uh, new tidbits contributors if somebody has an idea for especially if it's kind of a complex article we're like, hey, give us an outline of that first please so we have an idea of where they're going and it's, it's a real challenge uh, when you work with new writers and it's one of those things you know I, i'm I, we're always want new writers we always want new fresh voices uh you know and we always try to accommodate when people come to us with ideas and if they're good ideas we, we want definitely want to accommodate them um but it, it's hard to train people it's hard to you know guide people in the way we like to do things at tidbits and uh so that's one of the tricks we'll do is we'll say well give us an outline and, and uh, that helps us kind of guide how they write and make sure they don't write it, you know if i can give one piece of advice to any wannabe tech writer if you're writing a first article for somewhere don't write like a ten thousand word thing because it makes it super hard for someone like me to edit it like and we we have articles that it's taken us months to turn around because the initial draft was just enormous and we had to fix style things and it wasn't like anything wrong necessarily it's just like this isn't how we do stuff and so that makes things really hard on us so you know pitch small ideas you know at first that's that's one piece of advice i can offer on that front um but uh really i don't I don't outline things very much. I typically will just kind of think about it for a while until I know what I want to write. And then I just write it. I've never been much of an outliner. Now that's different now with books. And that's something Joe Kissel has really kind of drilled into me. Uh, Cause like I said, I was never an outliner, but then once I started seeing his method for how you do this stuff and like you go through, you create your outline, you have all your, your H ones and your H twos, all your headers, you know, listed and, and you go in knowing exactly what you're going to write and, and, you know, a lot of times it just kind of comes together from the outline. So, you know, for, so that's something I have learned over the years of uh, writing books. Um, I definitely outline books now um, and as much as possible. And that really does make things easier. And I just do that. I'll start in Google docs um, typically in that way. It's easy to share with Joe and Joe can see where I'm going and we can have a back and forth about what direction we want the book to go in. And then uh, I'll start in Nicest Writer. And we have a nice template he distributes to us that has all the latest instructions and, and macros and, and stuff like that. And I'll just go through and create my H1s and H2s, you know, just sort of copy my outline into the, the structure, the, into the bones of that Nicest Writer document. And then I just start filling in. Makes sense. Are those documents that you are creating, whether they be an article or a book, those Google Docs, do you keep those around you archive those for later or are you of the mindset of once something's published it now lives in wordpress and i'm not going to go back to my sort of working document i am uh one of the world's worst pack rats i i have a draft of every paper ever <laughs> in high school um 
So yeah, I, I never delete this stuff. And um, you know, Google Docs makes it e pretty easy to keep that stuff forever. What we do uh, for the tidbit side of things is we have a shared folder for everyone. You know, that's that's Adam and I and all our contributors. And then we have an old tidbits articles folder. And so once I get done with stuff in there, I just drag it to the old tidbits articles, and it's just archived there. And we don't really have to pull them out very much, but there's no real reason to delete them either. Um, now, once we have them, now this is sort of our editorial philosophy, um, for at least for tidbits, is that once we have so we have two stages of, of you know, pushing content out. We have what we call published. So if an article's on the website and the email's been sent out to people, the, the email for the individual article, we'll say that's published, right? And, and we'll edit things up until the point that, that it's been in an issue and, and sent out in the issue. And once that happens, it's basically set in stone with a few exceptions. If there's like a blatant factual error, we'll fix that and, and we'll try to leave a comment on the article and we do that. And if there's like a typo or a grammatical error, we'll go in and fix those after the fact. But, you know, we won't go in and add new stuff or make major content changes. You know, once once it's been issued, we can see that set in stone. So we do have sort of a, a trail of, you know, with the Google Docs revisions. And then we have, uh, you know, of course, WordPress keeps track of that stuff too. But we, we try to not do, you know, like some publishers will do, they'll go back to an old article and just totally change it and delete parts of it. And so a lot of times it's to avoid something embarrassing. We, we don't do that. Well, once something has been published for a while, well, if, we actually went back. We found like an article from last year around WWDC because we always rush those articles out, right? And uh, we try not to do that, but that's the one one of the few days we'll rush things out. And we had like an error in a in a headline, so we fixed that. You know, we fixed that little typo. But typically, once something has been put in an issue and sent out in the issue, uh, we don't we don't change it much. It's more or less set in stone. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at One Password. 1Password allows you to create and store strong, unique passwords and then use them no matter what device you're on, your Mac, a PC, an iPhone, an iPad, and so on. And it syncs to all of those devices seamlessly in the background. You can use 1Password with families so you can share logins with your loved ones or 1Password for Teams, which allow you to manage access to select coworkers, giving fine-grained control throughout your organization. 1Password, of course, works on all those devices, but it keeps getting better over time. Version 7.3 for the Mac just came out a few weeks ago, and it really has taken 1Password Mini and made it a lot more powerful. You can now use it to quickly search across all of your vaults, create new complex passwords, and you can even use it with drag and drop to bring your uh, 1Password information to the app that you're using. Once you start using this in your everyday workflow, it makes everything much faster. I'm really enjoying this most recent update. So to learn more and to sign up, you want to head on over to onepassword.com MPU. There you can learn more about 1Password and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU for a free 30-day trial. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. My thanks to 1Password for their support of Mac Power Users and Relay FM. Josh, we talked a lot about your writing workflows and, and how you get everything out the door. But you're also on a team. How do you guys work together? How do you communicate? Uh, well, for a long time, we used just email. And as, as Stephen knows, email is terrible. Um, 
I mean, it, it just it doesn't do thread. I mean, even in Gmail, it doesn't do threading well, and it's just this is not the best way of collaborating. At least I don't think so. And so we we've moved to Slack a few years ago, and that's helped a lot. So we use Slack. Um, we have one Slack space for tidbits and take control, and that's sort of a a holdover from the days when tidbits and take control were two sides of the same business. Now they're separate businesses, but we still keep take control together. It just makes sense because all, a lot of the same people are involved in both. Sure. A lot of the common authors from both platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And then we also have a, a channel we call Slack Bits, and that's for our community. It's not super active, but we do like to go over there on event days, like the WWC keynote, uh, you know, at various Apple events, and we'll invite people to come join us, and we'll kind of comment live on it um, as we're watching it. We're, we're a little more looser there than we would be, you know, on uh, even in like Twitter or, you know, in a... You know, definitely when we publish, we're, we're very particular about what we publish on the website, right? So we, we like to really make that as refined as possible. So that's a fun thing to do. And then, uh, you know, I personally, for that's for email, I use Gmail. Um, I have a Fastmail account. I've, I've tried to do the Fastmail, AppleMail thing. And I don't know, Gmail, I get a, an absurd amount of email. Like when I was first hired to Tidbits, I got put on all these PR mailing lists, like hundreds of them. And I get probably like a thousand emails a day. It's, it's insane. And so I've never found a spam filter or any kind of filtration system that can, that can do what Gmail can. Even, um, you know, Michael Sai makes a fantastic plugin for mail called spam sieve. And it's really the only thing I've found that's even close to Gmail's. And even that couldn't, you know, I, I try, I spent like a year trying to train it. And I finally just gave up. And now I have some things forwarded fast mail and fast mail forwards to Gmail. I really need to fix that. It's a terrible system, but, um, uh, one thing we started doing, as odd as this is, like we started having meetings, and like we have a weekly um, meeting with you know Adam and I and our usual contributors, and we do that through Google Hangouts, and we've used Google Hangouts uh, even before I joined Tidbits because we used to do uh, like a weekly get together that we put on YouTube, and uh, we stopped doing that about the time I joined. Uh, I guess I just <laughs> I don't have the right personality for it. I don't know, but anyway, uh, so we do uh, a weekly meeting every Tuesday. We get our usuals together and we talk about what everyone's working on and ideas for the future. And as you know, coming from the corporate world, I, I sort of hate meetings, but I found that uh, in our case, they make things uh, flow a lot better. Because one of my biggest challenges as managing editor is making sure we have the right amount of content for the issue every week. Like most web publishers are thinking about what do we put on the website every day? We're thinking about what do we have for the Monday issue? And some, some weeks we won't publish much at all during the week. And then we'll publish a bunch of stuff on Monday to catch up or, uh, yeah. you know, so that's always kind of the focus. And we try to keep on the old system. It was 30 K we counted it in terms of characters. Now we count it in words because that's what most people count their are used to counting their articles in. So we try to make each issue around 5,000 words as a base and then, uh, whatever extra bits and watch list items and whatever added onto it. So, well, the challenges is keeping content flowing so you don't start a week with nothing. You know, you always want to have something that you can put in the issue for the next issue. So you're not starting with a blank page in, in our WordPress, uh, the thing we use to put together the email issue. And we want to make sure people are working ideas for two or three weeks out so we don't just come across a dry spell. Like we used to have a real problem, especially in the late summer, where we'd have we'd have to really scramble to come up with stuff to write because you know, all the developers are hunkered down. Um, that weekly meeting has really in Google Hangouts has really helped 
to smooth out our production flow throughout the year. Now, I know now you guys are, are you guys running video cameras for that. I mean, so you can see each other. Yeah, we do. I mean, I mean, some people will turn them off, you know, for whatever. I mean, we don't need the video. It just kind of helps to anchor things visually. Um, now, before anyone asks, I, I know if, if you're listening to us at home, you're probably thinking, why don't they use group FaceTime? I will tell you why, because group FaceTime is a buggy piece of crap. Um, we, we tested <laughs> tell me how you it. really feel, Josh. <laughs> well, we tested it. I wish it were better. We tested it um, in the beta, and that, that was hilarious. Like some of the screenshots, like people's heads would be upside down. Um, just <laughs> people would like disconnect. There'd be two of people. I, if you guys test it, you know what I'm talking about, because it was a real mess. And then we tried it again a few months later. We're like, okay, we let this settle down. We let it solidify and let's try it again. And it was a little better, but it was still just a horrible mess. And so, uh, you know, Google Hangouts doesn't have the best reputation, but right now it's the best tool for that. I would love nothing more than to use an Apple tool, but unfortunately it's just not viable. And we also, we have one guy. Uh, Josh, wait, are you sure you just didn't have your Mac installed upside down? It's possible. No, I mean, <laughs> we, uh, like, I remember I was, we were trying to do this for take control because I was working on the iOS 12 book and we we're talking like Joe Kissel's head was suddenly just upside down for no reason at all. That's like, fine. It's fine. It, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally good. Um, so hopefully that will get better, but we do have one guy. I'm not going to name names, but he's on Android. And so he, he can't do the Google FaceTime. It's it's like, a, I'm sorry, he can't do the Apple FaceTime. So it's like a special he has to get his iPad out and charge it up and all that. So that's that's another reason we use Google Hangouts. It's a little more cross-platform, but I'm hoping in the future we can switch to we're, we're all putting a lot of pressure on him to get an iPhone like a normal person. Well, I mean, just like if you're going to work, if you're going to write about Apple for a living, I kind of feel like you have to have an iPhone of some kind, you know, even if it's not your main phone. I can understand there's reasons to have Android as your main phone, but, you know, if you're going to work on this stuff, you really need to have an iPhone. Um so yeah, but that's that's our thing. We use Slack. I personally use Gmail for my email management, and we use Google Hangouts for weekly meetings and uh, just to. Oh, and also I do. Um, I keep a running uh, list every year of meeting notes, and I use a different header for every meeting we have, and that way I can. It's easy to refer back to stuff, and that way I just kind of write down what everyone's working on. And if I can remember to do it, I, I'll post that in Slack so everyone can refer to that. Another thing we use not as often these days, but I will mention it is that we use Trello, which is, is a great collaborative to-do app for the web. And um, it lets you make various lists and share them with people. Uh, like I said, we don't use that as often as we used to, but uh, I actually had to use it the other day because there's all these random ideas I've been working on. And I can't remember them all. And I, and I keep forgetting about them. So I just made a list for myself. Here's all the stuff Josh needs to do and that, 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 that. And that way, you know, Adam can bug me and ask me why I haven't been doing the thing. I said I was going to do. Well, well, Josh, I, I would, I would second Trello. It's a great project tool, especially for collaborators. But I want to talk now about your your beta issue because as we record this, we're still on beta one for everything. You told me before we uh, start recording. I said, "Well, what betas are you running?" And it started very simple. Well, I've got it on a, you know, I've got it on Catalina running on my second <laughs> computer. And then I just stayed silent for a minute. And then suddenly just started, the truth started spilling out of you. You've got it on iPhones. you got an iPad. You put it on your watch. It's beta one, Josh. You put it on your watch. I, I don't have it. On, I don't have the beta on my watch. Like, I, I still have a series zero because I'm a loser. So I, I can't install anything new. But yeah, it's, I have beta one. Oh, you put it on your Apple TV though. You put it on your Apple TV. That's right. So you, you basically went all in. 
Well, I okay, so I have a methodology to this. Well, usually I do. I, I keep one old iPhone, I keep one old iPad. Well, Apple suddenly decided they weren't going to support the, iP the first iPad Air or the iPhone 6, which were my test devices. So I'm like, well, crap. I have to figure something else out. I do have to. They go to the kids. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, well, I have two Apple TVs because I have the first one is an Apple TV, what they call an HD now. It was actually a developer kit I got from Apple for a dollar. I got really lucky and won that lottery. Um, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then I have an Apple TV 4K that I got free from DirecTV. So that, they just hand these things out if you know where to look. Um, so the 4K I'm not messing with. Um, I did install on the Apple TV HD. And then I, I found my wife's uh, iPhone 6S, which I forgot she had. I thought it was broken, but uh, it works enough for the beta. So I put... Uh, oh, okay, wait. When you say you found your wife's phone, does that mean you went in her purse and got her phone? Or is this an old phone? It, it was her old phone. She, okay, she has good. an iPhone 8 Plus now. and But it was one of those I was just wandering around because my kid likes to play with her old phones. And sure. I, I thought it was broken. I'm like, wait a I second. was getting really worried there. If I put the beta, once again, Josh, I would have the locks changed on me if I put the beta on my wife's phone. That might have happened at some point, but I, I do. I do talk to her. <laughs> well, there was a point. Uh, there was she has an eight plus, and there was something I had to test. I was like, hey, honey, can I put the beta on there? She's like, yeah, sure. And that were well, I mean, it was, it was iOS 12, so I mean, it, it wasn't you know, it was pretty stable. Um, anyway, uh, I try to avoid that though. Um, I, I usually do not install the betas of mac os but um because apfs makes it so easy and also there's things like sidecar or ios it there's crossover between ios and mac os so i did install the catalina beta uh on my macbook pro and uh and i had to install the ipad os beta and i just didn't have a spare ipad so i just put on my ipad pro but like i said i don't tend to use the ipad pro very much and the improvements in Safari have been so worth it that it's, it's been worth the 15 minutes of battery life to get out of this machine now. So. <laughs> all right. Well, let's hear about that. So now you've gone all in. What do you like? What do you not like? Well, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest improvement with this is the desktop class Safari that can actually run all these different um, web-based apps like uh, Google Docs. So the usual workflow on the Mac is, uh, I kind of went through this earlier, but I'll go through it again. We draft in Google Docs, then I copy out of there. I put it in uh, in WordPress, and uh, I download the image. I export from Google Docs as HTML. I extract those images. That was really the holdup, right? Because like in iOS 12, you can't do that. You can't ex like the Google Docs app. Well, first of all, Google Docs doesn't work in Safari and in iOS 12. And and secondly, Google makes bad apps for the iPad. Yeah, they make apps. Um, that can't do those sorts of things. And there's no way to get the images out on, the, on iOS 12 on the iPad. So, and then on top of that, there's no way to, at least easy way to store things and unzip them. So iPad OS 13 solves all those problems. I can go into Google, I don't uninstall the Google Docs app, like, because otherwise that's where it's going to take you. But uh, you can go to drive.google.com and Safari. You can load up Google Docs like normal. You can just tap, double tap on a, on uh, an article, I can edit it right there. It, it's not the smoothest experience, but it, it works, right? It works. It could be better optimized, but it works at least until Google probably breaks it. But and then I can export. I can use the drop-down menus, which is cool. Uh, I can use those with my fingers. I can export. I download into the Files app locally on my iPad. It unzips with like, and it's crazy how fast the unzip works on the iPad. It's like split second. 
you know, even on my iMac, it takes, you know, two or three seconds for it to unzip. No, it unzips instantly. I got the images. I can do split view between um, files and a WordPress window in Safari, and I can dra literally drag and drop the images over, and it works like you would expect. It's a, it's, it, I don't want to gush too much because I feel like this is very basic functionality that should all, have always been there, but it, it's, it's nice. It's nice having another work machine. Um, the only thing I don't have is I don't have that text that BB Edit text factory. Um, I don't know if BB Edit will ever come to iPad. I don't want to go there, but I, I do want to try this summer to transfer that text factory into a shortcut because I have seen where uh, Batici has made like uh, markdown tools that can do some regular expression stuff, and so maybe maybe that I can do that. I don't know. Um, that, that, that'll be a fun thing to experiment with. There's also an app you should try called clean text. It's an iOS app. Okay. And, and it does quite a few of those text, uh, transformation tools. I know it's early days for iPad OS and these betas, but you said earlier that the, the iPad is, is a very secondary type device for you. Do you see the promise in iOS 13 and iPad OS that that could, that could change for you? You think? Yeah, I see promise. Um, I could definitely see some times when I would bring an iPad with me where I may may not want to bring a Mac for various reasons. Um, you, you know, I really salute people like Federico Batici and, and folks like that who really push the iPad workflow thing. I, I, I've never I've never seen the point. I, I try to use the tool that works best and the iPad's never been that for me. But, you know, and, and there's still a lot of things I find awkward about the iPad, like the whole slide over thing i find awkward because here you have this window just floating on top of everything else and you don't have that much screen space you know i would just i would like to have just regular windows um but i, I don't think we're there yet i mean well my, my understanding is for people who are at wwdc is that apple really wants to make it they want to keep it simple for the people who like the simple ipad and i can respect that um i do like how they how they're doing split view now when you take apps in a split view it's automatic 50 50 it's not uh, it, it, as small of a change as that is it does make a difference and just one less thing you have to do um so I, I you know i've done a little bit of work i've drafted an article and i've transferred an article uh with uh with an ipad and it's it's doable it's not the most it's not as efficient as a mac you know it's still i mean you know gruber said it's like working with mittens this is like working with thick leather gloves you, you know it's still awkward but it's it's doable now. it's doable um i mean it might get to a point um uh, another thing too is like the text selection stuff the text selection stuff in ipad os i'm really happy with um you know they kept what i call trackpad mode where you can drag on the two fingers but now you can just drag the cursor across the screen and and to move the cursor and you can do the little uh three finger drag um three finger pinch to copy and paste and that works really well now, I know for a lot of people, and I don't want to be uh, prescriptive. You know, I'm just talking about my own workflow. I know there's a lot of people for whom the iPad makes a lot of sense as a work machine, especially if you're like an artist or something and you have the Apple Pencil and everything. That's a tremendous tool uh, for that sort of workflow. I'm just talking about my own personal workflow. And there's a lot of this stuff that honestly isn't Apple's fault. There's a lot of this stuff that Google can make easier. Uh, you know, WordPress can make easier. There's a lot of things that can work better if, if companies would think, put the user first and not, not their own interests. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So I have two iPads, and so I put it on one of them 
And in addition to, I, I would first, I'd second everything you said about the browser. I, I too have a lot of Google workflows, and those all work now. And on the day job, I've got some other websites that never worked on iPad that now work fine. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of amazing. I, I mean, like you said, it should have always worked, but now that it works, it it feels pretty great having this little piece of glass that can get into that piece of the the internet. Um, the other thing that I would uh, add to that on iPad is putting the widget screen on the home screen. I mean, it's kind of obvious in hindsight. It's not, you know, they didn't reinvent anything so much as just combine two screens into one. But I find it just the way to go. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, yes. And I made it like the permanent setting. So anytime I'm holding my iPad uh, horizontally, I have my widgets on the screen. So all of those Siri shortcuts I've built that do automatic things now uh, are just right on the screen. I tap a button and off to the races they go. Uh, what widgets do you like to use? Cause I'm, I'm still kind of debating, uh, which ones to have on my screen. Well, my, my key ones are, cause you, you can fix two with this beta. So you can have two that are like the top two. And I, the, the one of them is the Apple one, just next appointment, you know, yeah. what's the next thing on my list? I block schedules so or what's coming up next. And the other one is a list. I have a, um, you can have a, a directory of Siri shortcuts. And I do so much work through Siri shortcuts that I literally just have Siri shortcuts button. Then if you scroll below, you get your normal list of widgets below that. So you can have calendars and task managers and whatever else floats your boat. But the, those two are the ones I like to have on my screen at all times. And it's really nice. So the way it works, and if you're listening, the way it works is it's just the left maybe 25% of the screen gets those widgets and then the other the right 75 percent your your icons get slightly smaller but everything fits the same yeah and uh right now i have I, i'm like you I have the up next at top because that that is really handy then i have carrot weather below that carrot weather is by far the best weather app i have not found a better weather app and i have the batteries widget right now which lets me keep an eye on my apple pencil and airpods and things like that and then below that I have like crap like news and shortcuts and and things like that although i've never I should probably there's probably an episode I go back and listen to learn more about shortcuts. I've I've played with them, I've written about them. Like Here, here's how you get started with them. But I I have a terrible imagination when it comes to things like that. But see now I do have some ideas now. Now that I can actually do work, you know, thanks to this new Safari, you know, there are certain manipulations I would like to do. And so now I have more of an excuse to learn more about shortcuts. Plus, there's more. Uh, HomeKit integration. Well, and I agree with your sentiments earlier. Federico and, and folks like him are certainly at the front of the pack. But too often, I feel like some of the things they have to do take heroic efforts, and it shouldn't. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, as uh, Stephen and I were talking to Apple folks last week, they, I feel like there's still room to grow, but they have come a long way. And even some of my own personal white whales are, are handled with this. And we'll be covering this stuff further on MPU as it goes forward. But I, just to begin with, I mean, this, this is the beta where they say, if you're going to download it, not only will we not make it easy for you, like there's no automatic update. Uh, we specifically tell you, you have to be a thrill seeker to download it. And I was just impressed that you, uh, you went all in. Yeah, that, that took me back a little bit. I'm like, what am I getting into? And so I asked a couple of my friends who were wrong. And they're like, ah, no, it's fine. It's fine. You know, and I was like, okay. I mean, and it's, I don't think it's any less stable than, than a typical beta one. Um, I mean, iOS 12 was really stable out of the gate, um, for the most part, but I mean, they didn't add a lot with that, but, um, 
like uh, like iOS 11. I mean, it's the usual bugs. And like by usual bugs, okay, if you've never run an iOS beta one before, I'm talking to the listener here, um, typical bugs are your battery life is cut down by about 90%. It just eats battery and rotation issues, especially with the iPad. Like right now, I have my iPad in landscape here on my desk and it's in the wrong orientation and I can't get it to flip back. So I'm probably gonna have to restart it <laughs> before I can actually use it like this. So that's, you know, it's mostly mild irritation. Um, you know, now of course, if you're just, you're a non-power user, I don't recommend you know, doing this, but crazy people like us, uh, you know, this is what we do. Okay, and I just wanna reach out to you, dear listener, right now in your car, who's saying, okay, Josh says it's okay, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> You can you can reach Josh at tidbits. Don't write it, me. It's probably too early for most people, but I think you've done a, totally. a good job of you know, having it on you know extra a bonus device or an old device. I'm not sure I'd put it on anything you're you're walking around with carrying every day. Definitely not a daily driver. Let, let me let me rephrase. I may have phrased this incorrectly in the first place. If, <laughs> if you're a normal Sorry. person, do not install this. Um, this beta is for like, if you're really for developers, okay. But real, but like, so I have to write an iOS 13, iPad OS 13 book this summer, and so the sooner I get started on this, and the sooner I'm familiar with how everything works, the the sooner I can write it, and then I can have it ready for day one, so you can buy it. So that's why I I do things like this. Um, and if you're just a thrill seeker, like Apple says, yeah, buy, use a secondary device. I mean, you know, if you have a paid developer account, you know, I mean. If you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, don't mess with it. Yeah, I, I, and the reason for me was Siri Shortcuts because it is significantly better and there's a lot of new stuff, so I'm trying to get my head around it. But second device. But, you know, just to give an example, Ulysses, which is an app I use to write almost everything in, doesn't work on this iPad now. It just gives me a black screen. So that's the kind of nonsense you have to deal with in betas. Yeah. Uh, anything else? I, so you've got it on a phone. What about Catalina? Anything stand out for you now that you've got it? got it running well you know when i first got it installed i was amazed at how smooth it went thanks to the, the containers and it was a very fast install and everything worked perfectly and then i put it to sleep for a couple of days and opened it back up and like everything was crashing things are corrupted everywhere i'm like oh okay yeah it's beta one all right um yeah so i um oh what was it i liked so much there's something i really liked uh i tried the sidecar feature and that's really cool um mm, i mean so far it, it I'm trying to think, what uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I was new new in Catalina. So it's, I don't I don't cover macOS that as intensely as iOS. I don't write a book about it. So um, I did try the sidecar thing, and that was cool. I was pretty impressed with that. And I played. Oh 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 oh. The um, getting rid of iTunes. I I cannot tell you how much I hate iTunes. Um, I used to love it. Like iTunes three was amazing, but um, it's really gone downhill. I'm not going to trip. You know, everyone's beat up on poor iTunes over the years, but. What they've done is great. The new music app is so crisp and clean. Um, and as far as I can tell, all the like home sharing is still there. That's in internet sharing settings now. Um, the, the all the sync stuffs in Finder were probably should the device management is in Finder were probably already should have been. Uh, you know the, the TV app is pretty cool. The podcast app is good. It, it's just nice having that stuff split out. Uh, I don't think the CD burning stuff is there. I, I doubt it. It'll come back, but I can't really say I expected it, but I, I really like the new music app. It's, it's a lot more usable than iTunes. And so I'm, I'm happy with that. And the sidecar feature is neat. I don't know how much I would use it, but if this iMac were to ever die on me and I had to use my MacBook pro for a, a while, it would be cool 
demo iPad. Here's my second screen for that. Um, so I could kind of emulate uh, this setup I have on the go. Um, but yeah, again, I would not put that in your daily driver machine, but I, it was surprisingly stable. And whenever I say surprisingly, let me be very clear. When I say surprisingly stable for a beta one, I mean like, you know, other than get my leg blown off, there weren't that many mines in the, la- in the landfill, right? You know, like <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, it's it's worked surprisingly well. As I've been I've been doing the, the first beta thing since like iOS eight, which I know isn't all that long uh, in this field. I think that's important because you didn't say iOS seven. Anybody who had early betas of iOS seven has an entirely different feeling <laughs> for betas. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I, I had a friend who ran that beta, and I I saw some of what the bugs were. It's yeah, there's a reason I didn't. I used to not do that. <laughs> now the the TVOS beta, you know, you know, again, I'm not going to encourage anyone to install that, but it was it was actually stable. Like, I mean, they haven't changed a whole lot, so it's not radically different. Um, I do like having Control Center on TVOS, so you can switch audio outputs without having to dig through settings. That was a long time coming, and the multi-user yeah, support is nice too. Yeah. I feel like the TV beta might have been done like six months ago and just sitting around waiting for this. Entirely possible. <laughs> Entirely possible. It, it definitely seems like like it's one of those years where, especially on the on the Mac with Catalina, like the full story will evolve over time. Like what Catalina is today mm-hmm. will be extremely different what it is in a year from now when we've had a year of mm-hmm. iPad apps on the Mac, right? It's the groundwork is there, but I feel yeah. like the potential can't be realized until we're a little bit further down the road. Well, see, that's what's interesting is usually, usually I'm the, cause I'm the iOS guy. Uh, Shelly McFarland is the, uh, writes the Mac OS book every year. So usually I get stuck with the stuff that you won't understand what it means until developers have had it for at least six months. But this year that's very much on the Mac, right? Like iOS, there's not a lot of, well, I, I know Swift UI and all that, but there's, there's not a ton of like stuff that's totally going to change the way your apps work on iOS. Um, like there have been like iOS eight was really bad about that. Right. But now on the Mac, the Mac, I think, is going to look totally different in six months than it does now because the the app landscape is going to be entirely different. So that's going to be wild to watch. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus for the web. When you're in front of a computer that can't run OmniFocus, you can still stay on track with OmniFocus for the web. This is a brand new service from the Omni Group that lets you view and edit your OmniFocus data from any computer with a web browser. Now, this isn't a standalone product. It's part of OmniFocus, and you'll need to set up your OmniFocus database using OmniFocus on the Mac or iPad or iPhone before you can start using the web service. And some of the features in the native apps, like the review perspective, are not available on the web, but a remarkable amount of it is available. With OmniFocus for the web, you can view and access your inbox, your projects, tags, and flags. You can mark tasks as completed and see your lists. It still features that great encrypted sync, and it supports hardware keyboard shortcuts. If you're an OmniFocus user and you ever find yourself in front of a computer that doesn't have OmniFocus installed, this is for you. To get started, just head over to OmniGroup.com and sign up for a free two-week trial. If you've already purchased OmniFocus, they have a discounted subscription for the web service. If you don't have OmniFocus, they have another subscription where you get the applications in addition to the web service. Either way, head over to OmniGroup.com and check it out. With just a few clicks, you can have all of your OmniFocus data available to you on any computer that's got a web browser. Thank you, OmniFocus, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. 
Josh, I always like to finish a show talking to uh, to folks about some of their favorite apps or hardware. Uh, you know, is there any little applications or hardware in your life that just doesn't get enough love generally that you'd like to to share with the listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I already mentioned Better Touch Tool. Uh, we went over some of the benefits of that. I highly recommend that for anyone who has anything they want to fix or change with the way their input devices work on a Mac. Um, but uh, a couple of things I don't think get mentioned as often that I tend to use a lot. Uh, one of those is an app called Paprika. And Paprika is available on iOS, macOS, and uh, maybe on the watch. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have an uh, up-to-date watch at the moment. But Paprika is a grocery and meal planning app. And um, so the, it doesn't have a, a sharing function. But what my wife and I do, we share an account. And it just it syncs over. And it, it, that tends to work pretty well. So that we use that to keep a shared grocery list. And, and it, you know, as much as I like notes, um, it's not the best grocery app. Uh, there's some changes in, in iOS 13 that might change that. I don't want to get into that right now. But Paprika is a very good, because uh, it does a lot of autofilling and it lets you repeat stuff and, and things like that. And then you can take, you can store your recipes in Paprika. You know, we, we cook, my wife and I both cook a lot. And so we, should, we store all of our recipes in there. It can scrape a page, it can extract a recipe from a page and store it in this database. And then um, you can say, yeah, I want to make this recipe, add all this stuff to the grocery list. And it just does it. And you can just uncheck the stuff like salt. You know, we always have salt around the house, butter, things like that. And you can just have the things in your grocery list that you need for that recipe. Um, and then we don't use this as much as we'd like, but then you can meal plan. And you can say, oh, I'm going to make th- these recipes this day. I'm going to make these recipes this day. And you can make a shopping list for the entire week based on that meal plan. It's a really cool, powerful app. And, um, I highly recommend that to to households where you feel overwhelmed by groceries and cooking and stuff. Um, I I feel like Paprika is like one of those apps that is just universally considered best in class. Oh yeah. There's a lot of different categories of apps, but if you want a meal planning grocery app, it seems like everyone we talk to loves Paprika. Yeah. Have you ever used that app, Stephen? No, I haven't. That's kind of one's like, perpetually on the back of my mind it's like it would be nice to have something for shared recipes and kitchen management and stuff but haven't really checked it out to be honest yeah it's great i, I bought it all because we had a guest on talking about it once and then like literally the next day it was like half off <laughs> <laughs> hey but but that was years ago and i still use it so i guess i got my money's worth yeah it's a great app uh, another one i like and i mentioned it already but uh and i think it's it's sort of everyone loves it right now but i will mention it is carrot weather um, and they recently added a new subscription tier. It's it's kind of ridiculous. It's twenty four dollars a year for this for this weather app for the highest subscription tier. And I did it without thinking about it because Brian Mueller, the developer of Carrot Weather, and he makes a lot of other really neat apps. And the whole thing with Carrot is like the, the joke is that there's a homicidal AI who runs the app. But um, you get past that sort of goofiness, and it's a really solid weather app that can pull stuff from different sources. It can it can seamlessly notify you about things. Like um, I was on vacation at the beach recently, and my my wife and and sons were down there playing in the water. And I checked my phone. I was I was in the house, and I checked the phone. And it was telling me, oh yeah, lightning strike fourteen miles away. Lightning strike twelve miles away. I'm like, oh crap, y'all gotta get off the beach right now. And so yeah, carrot weather. You know, let me warn my family and, and that saved their lives. For I know, I actually had a friend I grew up with who was in the Air Force and died because the ocean was struck by lightning while he was in the water training. Um, so that's a real danger. 
So uh, Carrot Weather is a really great app. Easily the best weather app in iOS. I highly recommend that. I highly recommend paying the money for it. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Keyboard Maestro. You know, if you're on the Mac, that's a tremendous power user tool. And uh, one last one I'll just give a shout out to, and I know they're a sponsor and everyone knows about them, but 1Password. And 1Password, really, I've been using it since 2011, I think. Um, I've used it for a long time now, even before I was working in this stuff professionally. And it's just gotten better and better with time. The security has always been great. I've never had to worry about my passwords. Um, and it gets, I mean, it integrates with all of Apple stuff. And, and uh, you know, I would have a much harder time managing passwords and two-factor authentication without it. Yeah, they, it, they are a sponsor, but I would just add to that. Just the other day, I was using it on my iPad Pro. And, you know, the idea of face unlock, you know, it's great on the iPad. And I know there's a lot of people that, that like face lock and some don't. But when it comes to like a third-party app like 1Password, when you just open the app, it sees your face and it gives you your data. Yeah. That feel, that's one of those living in the moment, the future moments, you know? Yeah, I agree. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been way too long. We won't wait 10 years before we have you back, I promise. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for hey, having congratulations me. Congratulations with all your success over at Tidbits and the, the books you're writing. It sounds like we're, we may see an iOS 13 book for you from you before uh, September. That's the plan. All right. And, um, gang, you can find Josh over at tidbits.com. We're going to go ahead and put a bunch of links in the show notes to some of the stuff he's made over the years and the other things we talked about today. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. That's our friends over at Eero, Moo, 1Password, and Omni. And we'll see you all next week. 